Volume Three, Chapter Seven of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven, I think I shall say yes. Mary Beaton had a troublous time of it for several days after her unlucky expedition to the East End. General Falcon was stranger than ever. He seemed rather to avoid her, but when they met, his eyes were wild and full of fear and foreboding he hinted at dark possibilities at scandal even at personal danger to herself and bade her keep closely the secret of their foolish escapade he seemed completely shaken and nervous and to be afraid of phantoms he did all he could to prevent her from going out and made her send excuses to several of the houses to which they were engaged in truth he did not wish her to run the chance of meeting bellarmin he felt angry baffled defeated his clumsy plot had failed and failed through bellarmin he saw no present opening for a fresh melodramatic scheme he was in terror lest mary should discover that such a scheme had existed and in spite of lady saxon's professions of good faith he was beginning to feel a keen distrust of her he did not understand why bellarmin had been at the music hall that evening why his plot had so completely miscarried mary made merry with his tragic dejection she still by a determined effort kept up an appearance of light-heartedness she would not let even falcons see that she was ashamed and unhappy she would try to seem exactly as she had always been to everyone to bellarmin if he should come to see her it was some time since he had been to see her she laughed at falcon and then when they came near to a quarrel she peremptorily silenced him he had during the last week or two been giving her warnings of various undefined and terrible dangers menacing her conspiracies treasons stratagems and spoils she made up her mind at last that she would take the opinion of some other counsellor whom she could trust not of course making any confession of the east end escapade mary was herself quite of opinion that the undignified freak should be buried in oblivion but on the general subject of falcon's continued alarms she was delighted therefore when in the very midst of a scene with falcon lord stonehenge was announced she went up to him with both hands outstretched and she made approach to her subject at once lord stonehenge she said abruptly looking up at him her face all softened by girlish agitation you never scold me i really believe that you are the only one of my close friends who never has scolded me I am never afraid of you. I know you will always judge things at the best. No, everyone else scolds me, but only you, you alone. Stonehenge looked at her with an expression of indefinable emotion. Pain and pity mingled, pain and pity, not for her, but for himself. True, he never scolded her. He never ventured to scold. He never felt in the mood for scolding all that she did seemed well done to him at least he would not have allowed in his innermost heart an acknowledgment that anything she did could be aught but well done at all events well meant nobly meant and what did he get by all this evidently it was only now for the first time that she had taken any very serious account of his unvarying tenderness for her his patience in bearing with her and she always showed more interest in others than in him 
he could not help admiring bellarmin sometimes for the courage with which he told the beautiful woman that she ought to have done this thing or ought not to have done that he admired this courage recognized its truthfulness and its worth but he could not imitate it and he felt in his secret soul that mary would have thought more of him if he could and that the rebukes of others had more interest for her than all his submissive reverence and duty i ought to be more thankful and grateful to you than i am she said ruefully but indeed dear lord stonehenge i am very very grateful to you when i give myself time to think about it lord stonehenge smiled a rather wan smile she had put it quite truly as he well knew she was grateful to him when she gave herself time to think about it to think about him she did not very often give herself such time that was clear he might as well have been as old as general falcon indeed general falcon evidently occupied much more of mary's thoughts than he did there was a lack of polarity as between mary and lord stonehenge he had not even for her the polarity of refrigeration the quality of coldness which can be made under certain conditions to do the work of the lodestone one might have thought that english society and english public life could not furnish forth a more picturesque figure than that of lord stonehenge he was young he was remarkably handsome he was the living head of a great and powerful family which had never changed its english homestead since the conquest he was a devotee of mary's own political faith and a full believer in all her claims and the traditions of her household and the earnest daily prayer of most of the relatives and friends at home and abroad who took a really rational interest in her was that she might fall in love with lord stonehenge and marry him despite all this despite what had passed between them she was never able to feel much real interest in him she liked him very much she trusted to him implicitly in all matters where friendship could serve her she had almost unlimited confidence in his judgment but his coming or his going never set one of her pulses stirring or flushed her cheek and i am so glad you have come to-day lord stonehenge general falcon has been trying to frighten me out of all my present plans and projects by assuring me that i am the victim or at least that i am the object of a fearful conspiracy conspiracy of whom and about what asked lord stonehenge in alarm about me nothing less is it not sweetly romantic i almost wish it were true but who are the conspirators and what are they conspiring to do that you had better ask falcon he can tell you all the story if he is as ready to tell it to you as he has lately been ready to tell it to me you will have no difficulty in learning everything that is to be known general falcon looked much vexed and made no effort to conceal his vexation i told madame he said in a harsh low voice what i believed it good for her to know and right for her to know i did not intend to tell it to every stranger madame does not look on me as a stranger lord stonehenge said firmly almost sternly certainly not lord stonehenge i look on you as one of my very best and nearest friends as madame pleases falcon said then madame had better tell for herself to lord stonehenge what she wishes lord stonehenge to know may i take my leave madame mary nodded assent and falcon left the room i don't know what is coming over my trusty falcon mary said 
and she looked distressed as she said it he has become so changed and odd in manner i am sure he must be ill he has very much changed to me lord stonehenge said we used to be great friends once now he seems to dislike me or distrust me i haven't the least notion why but tell me what are these conspiracies of which he has been talking oh folly absurdity i am sure of it i am almost ashamed to talk about such things i wish i hadn't said anything lord stonehenge i think my poor falcon was right enough to be displeased with me for saying anything about what he told me still as he did tell you something apparently to put you on your guard i think some of your friends ought to be allowed to know some of us could judge perhaps better than he we know london better at all events mary laughed a joyous little laugh general falcon has taken it into his head she said that i have some powerful and unscrupulous enemies who want to harm me and who are scheming and planning for such work to harm you how well he insists that my life is in danger your life in danger here in london oh come that is his story for a long time he only tried to make me believe that the house was in danger of being attacked by robbers burglars that it had got abroad somehow that i used to keep a lot of jewelry and gold and so forth here and that he had actually found out a plan for the robbing of the house some evening or night when he and i should both be absent well there is nothing very unlikely in that i should say he was about right there what did you do i believe he gave some information to the police and i think he had most of the jewels put into the care of the bank but i wouldn't have them all stowed away for i am very fond of some of my jewels and i like to wear them and to look at them you know what children we women always remain lord stonehenge and i could not live if i had not some of my pretty things to play with and so i wouldn't quite give in to my faithful falcon now he has dropped the burglar plots and tells me of a dark conspiracy to carry me off and bury me in a dungeon somewhere like the man with the iron mask i suppose or even to kill me that certainly was what he hinted at pretty broadly just now when i lost patience and made my appeal to you lord stonehenge was silent for a moment or two this was an amazing story but after all it was not absolutely outside the range of possibility at all events miss beaton's friends must not dismiss it without some examination does he know who the enemies are great people he says mary answered composedly people with all manner of influence why are they your enemies some because they consider my claim a danger and an insult to this reigning family and others falcon says because they don't like me personally women i suppose mary added with a smile and a glance of pardonable satisfaction at the looking-glass the first idea lord stonehenge said gravely is altogether absurd and out of the question dismiss it from your mind at once madame it does not belong to our english life or to our english ways at all there is a social atmosphere you know as well as a physical atmosphere surrounding us all out of which we can't live and that social atmosphere makes falcon's conspiracies absolutely impossible among people like us in england falcon has lived too long out of this country he has lost touch of its realities the second the private and personal enmities 
well i should at first be inclined to put that too out of the question but after all it is possible just possible there might be some foundation for such a fear anyhow i should like to ask falcon something about it if he would tell me does he know who the enemies are i didn't ask him i didn't care much about the whole thing i don't get frightened easily just at this moment a card was handed to miss beaton she blushed slightly as she saw the name and there was a certain expression of timidity very unusual with her in the look which she turned on lord stonehenge mr bellarmin she said should we talk to him about all this i don't know it is better not he would not care he was surprised at her nervousness and looked at her with melancholy eagerness the explanation came to him with a darting pang if she were merely indifferent to bellarmin's opinion would she show this hesitation about consulting him this doubt of his interest of which surely at stonehenge park he had given sufficient proof his manner was constrained as he answered i think you do mr bellarmin injustice i am sure that he would care very much about anything concerning you and then we look to him as one of our political allies it would be better that he should know very well she said tell him what i have just told you her manner of greeting bellarmin was very different from the way in which she had welcomed lord stonehenge there was in it none of that frank friendliness it seemed to lord stonehenge that her face which had been so soft and gentle a minute ago became suddenly troubled and a little defiant the young man too was not so frank and friendly and outspoken as was usual with him he looked grave and somewhat embarrassed and unlike himself lord stonehenge felt certain that he would have been different had he found mary alone in a kind of grim generosity he tried to put bellarmin at his ease and told him at once of mary's perplexities and falcon's forebodings there was a curious eagerness in bellarmin's manner of receiving the story he took it in a very different way from lord stonehenge's mary was quite surprised she had expected that he would merely laugh at the whole thing as a vain imagining of general falcon's but he did not there may be much more in this than you think he said there may be a great deal in it i should be very sorry indeed to disregard it or treat it as utterly unfounded tell me you have not seen any indication of sudden lack of intelligence anything of an alarmist kind about general falcon of late anything that would make you believe or suppose that his intellect was less clear less firmly poised than before mary gave him a quick anxious almost angry look the same thought the same fear had been in her own mind had entered it some time ago but she would not confess her fear with an odd feminine contradictoriness she resented bellarmin's suggesting it mr bellarmin how can you ask such a question why you are ten times worse of an alarmist than my poor old falcon i had rather the whole air i breathe were flavoured with conspiracies against me than fancy for a moment that falcon was losing his senses this is dreadful i'll not call any more counsellors to advise me the next question would probably be whether i can observe any growing signs of insanity in myself still i would ask bellarmin persisted whether you have seen any symptoms ever so slight of a change of this kind in general falcon bellarmin looked keenly at her as he asked none whatever not the slightest 
he's always distressing himself about me one way or another he is very fond of me of course and i dare say london hours don't agree with him he is an old man you know we didn't keep such hours at schwalbenstadt sitting up late at night and rushing about and, and all that must upset an old man's nerves and temper it upsets mine he was satisfied with her answer that is just what i expected he said and what i am glad to hear now this is no monomaniac idea on falcon's part we may be sure there is something which he knows and which we do not know one other question madame this recent disclosure or hint or whatever we may call it about the personal enemies was never made before before when mr bellarmine well let me see was not made for example before the latter part of last week she paused for a moment and collected her thoughts remembering that it was just before they started on their masquerading expedition that falcon had spoken most wildly and incoherently of a plot against her and of unscrupulous and dangerous enemies yes that is quite true she said a little surprised not made before last thursday no how did you know he did not answer her question i am trying to fix a time he said i am trying to connect things i don't see the connection mary said rather scornfully madame bellarmine said after a moment of silence so far as my advice is worth anything it is given entirely in support of general falcon's remonstrance remonstrance mary exclaimed in a sudden outburst of temper remonstrance mr bellarmine what do you mean remonstrance with whom against what remonstrance bellarmine said gravely with one who is placed in a conspicuous and perhaps a very dangerous position and is too fearless or careless always to take proper precautions ridiculous she exclaimed you are just as bad as he do you think i am going to immure myself like a girl in a nunnery am i a bird to be kept in a cage do you suppose i can spend all my life in the exclusive companionship of general falcon and lady struthers lord stonehenge you don't want me to make a prisoner of myself because of falcon's nonsense about plots and conspirators masks i suppose and daggers and bowls of poison lord stonehenge was much surprised at bellarmine's way of treating falcon's supposed revelations he had never expected that a careless young man of the world would see anything substantial in such stories he was full sure that bellarmine would join with mary in pronouncing them utterly ridiculous what surprised him too was that there seemed to be something of a common understanding or a common misunderstanding between mary beaton and bellarmine there were allusions glancing from one to the other which had evidently some sort of meaning for each of the two but no meaning whatever for him why was miss beaton suddenly angry with bellarmine why did she blush and turn away meantime bellarmine turning towards the angry girl saw her make an impatient movement of her head in lord stonehenge's direction it said as clearly as any words could have put it get him out of the way i would suggest said bellarmine that lord stonehenge should see general falcon at once and talk to him i would offer to go myself but i know falcon wouldn't on any conditions admit me to his fullest confidence i'll go and find him lord stonehenge said in a rather depressed tone he was in a mood of doubt and dissatisfaction 
he could not understand how things were going he was puzzled by miss beaton and by bellarmin as well as by general falcon the moment he had left the room mary broke out i don't understand you mr bellarmin don't tell me that you believe in all this stuff about conspiracies and gunpowder plots don't tell me that you believe in the story about some wicked woman of rank wanting to kill me because she thinks me younger and better looking than she is you don't believe anything of the kind yet you back up falcon and i know you have some meaning in it i am only thankful that you didn't make your meaning known to lord stonehenge you are angry with me bellarmin began in a voice very different from that which he had used when lord stonehenge was in the room yes i am indeed very angry you seemed as if you had a right to cross-question me like a prisoner prisoners are not cross-questioned he said with a supplicating smile at least in this country well i don't care like somebody who is suspected of having done wrong and having an account to render i think you have done wrong he said how why when you were speaking of something that happened last week the latter part of last week what happened the latter part of last week can't you guess what i was thinking of i can't i don't want to guess and there is nothing to guess at and you couldn't possibly have known i do know i saw oh no no you didn't you couldn't you were not there you were not you were not i was there and i did see oh she put her hand over her eyes and then recovering herself in a moment she calmly confronted him and asked what did you see what are we speaking of do we understand each other madame we do perfectly what did i see i saw the daughter of the stuarts in the public room of an east end music hall i saw the woman on whom the eyes of all london society are fixed and on whom the eyes of at least half of london society are fixed in hard unfavorable unpitying criticism i saw this lady in an east end music hall and in the dress of a boy bellarmin had intended this climax for an utterly overpowering effect he had meant it for the friendly cruelty which wounds to the very quick in order that it may all the more surely heal the result was not exactly what he had anticipated whether mary's volatile feelings underwent a change through pure nervous reaction or whether his manner was rather too portentously solemn or whether something in her memory brought humorous association with it the effect was that miss beaton flung herself into a long low chair and covering indeed her face with her kerchief burst into a silvery peal of the most genuine and unaffected laughter oh then you were there she asked when she was able to find words you really were there in that dreadful place and you did see me and you recognized me although i thought i was wearing my boy's clothes so well that the keenest eye could not make me out well now tell me how did i look come no malice did the dress become me how did i look i am afraid i was not thinking of how you looked just at that moment he began solemnly were you not how strange but when your astonishment had cleared off a little surely you must have thought of it then oh yes i'm sure you did i did make a pretty boy now didn't i i did look well i can admire in a burlesque actress what i am unable to admire in a stuart princess mr bellarmin you are as solemn as lady struthers and just now you look to me quite as old 
you tell me of the awful dignity that should surround a stuart princess don't you remember that mary stuart more than once dressed herself up in the costume of a soldier of the guard she was not merely a princess but a reigning queen and i am only a sort of embryo claimant at the best come don't take it all too solemnly bellarmin could not help feeling vexed at miss beaton's way of taking the matter and no doubt his face told plainly what he felt he remained silent she turned and looked at him you are angry with my mirthful mood mary said to him quietly but take comfort mr bellarmin the mood of mirth is not likely to last a very long time indeed it had passed away already mary got up abruptly from her seat and went to the window and stood there looking vacantly out on the trees she was silent he feared he had offended her and his heart was pained at the thought are you angry with me he asked imploringly she turned to him and he saw that her eyes were full of tears he hated himself for the moment no i am not angry she said very gently at least i am not angry with you but i am distressed i should like you of all men to think well of me mr bellarmin and i don't see how you can think well of me now there was almost childlike simplicity in her words and her tone which went to his very heart miss beaton oh i beg of you he began who could know anything of you and not think well of you and i know so much about you about your goodness more than you think why there is not a woman on earth i hold fit to be named in the same breath with you why it is for just that reason only that that i ventured he was becoming confused he was afraid of saying too much was afraid he had already said too much but she did not seem to notice his words i am always doing wrong things she said in a plaintive voice i turn my best friends against me no friend you have who is not devoted to you in heart and soul he exclaimed you never could lose a friend think she spoke passionately and not heeding his words how much alone i am in all this and how like a prisoner i feel sometimes i may not do this thing and that and the other i must let no one come near me must have no particular liking for anyone i have nothing to look out to if one were a queen one might have some motive for enduring it all but what motive have i and what hope have i to live on in this way alone or much worse than being alone to marry someone for whom i care nothing but whom my advisers and the people in schwalbenstadt think i ought to marry but why obey these people bellarmin said in hot impatience why sacrifice your youth your life to their ideas there are those who love you love you love you there must be someone whom you will love she looked up at him quite startled he saw that in her eyes which he had never yet seen and a sudden blush came over her and she drooped her eyes and then she turned to the window again oh do not let us speak any more about this she said but the wild hope that had flashed up in bellarmin's heart could not die down so soon the fire that her tell-tale blush and look had lighted there could not so easily be extinguished never for a moment had he ventured to dream of the hope which that sudden glance had now made real no no i can't stop now he exclaimed madame mary you know what i am going to say it must be said i love you oh forgive me it is no fault of yours you can't help it you didn't mean it you didn't encourage it but all the same i love you 
he took her hand she did not attempt to withdraw it but she kept her eyes away from his her passiveness disarmed him he made no attempt to draw nearer to her he only held her hand in his there was a moment of silence a silence to him almost appalling then she said quietly and there was a pathos in her tone which almost soothed him mr bellarmin you know that this is impossible i suppose it is he answered in a subdued voice i could not expect you of course i am only a struggling beginner in politics i have no money it is not that she said decisively no then is it simply that you don't care for me there was another silence then she said in the lowest of tones the one word no he was confused and puzzled do you mean he asked imploringly that you don't care for me or that that is not the reason she drew her hand away now very gently though that is not the reason she said then you do care for me all his veins seemed filled with running fire i think i do yes i know i do she answered simply and sweetly you are more to me than any one else i am not sorry you have told me this that you love me are you sure that you really do love me oh am i sure he exclaimed and he could not get any farther his voice had passionate sincerity enough in it to convince the most sceptical woman i am glad she said although it is selfish of me for nothing can come of this i suppose it is impossible is it not i am not thinking of that now i am not thinking of anything possible or impossible but just of this that you know i love you and you are not angry with me and you tell me that you do in some sort of way care for me it's not in any sort of way she said i do care for you i do admire you i don't like to say any more since nothing can come of it but she was turning now to him and looking straight into his eyes and standing like one who felt herself a queen i would marry you mr bellarmin if i could there think when i have said that whether i care for you or not bellarmin felt for the moment positively humbled by the very pride of his discovery to think that this glorious creature all youth and loveliness with her illustrious past and bewildering present should turn to him with love should single him out oh what had he done or what was he to deserve one moment of such happiness he looked up to her and there were tears glittering in his eyes she saw them and she put her kerchief to her own eyes come she said we must not say any more about this just now lord stonehenge will be coming in come to me to-morrow will you and we will talk over this like a rational man and woman he went away almost without a word he felt so strangely humbled in his wonderful happiness was he treading on air when he left the house were angels walking with him and buoying his steps and what was all the commonplace noise of the street but a mighty and beautiful chorus of joy and thanksgiving mary stood quite still by the window when he had left her and she too felt that the whole earth was changed and that heaven was kind tears which were not of sadness made her eyes large and soft and sweet her heart was filled with sacred and tender emotion she thought of her mother the benignant face of the holy mother above the altar seemed to smile upon her 
all that was pure and womanly and reverent within her swelled and moved her to gentle ecstasy the singing of the birds the bees hum the rustling of the beech branches all seemed to say he loves you and to unite in a joyous cry of to-morrow she did not know that falcon had come back till he stood beside her and his harsh voice broke the spell lord stonehenge has gone he said mary started and her full sweet eyes met his general she said i have something to tell you mr bellarmine has asked me to marry him and i-i have not told him yet but i think i shall say yes end of volume three chapter seven